This is It's Getting Colder by Maddie Kovach, performed by Skylar Tarnas. Hi. Merry Christmas. You've been out here a really long time. There's like a layer of snow on your jacket. You are frosted. How are you? That was quick, wasn't it? When I was a kid, Christmas Mass used to feel like forever. I never used to believe my dad when he said it was just an hour. But he was right. Ten years goes by really fast, too. I I brought us something. Remember when we used to steal this from behind the altar? I mean, it was just that one time, but... Don't worry, it's unblessed. You don't want to drink too much God, right? Cool. Uh, This is great. What kind of things did we used to talk about? Everything. That's not helpful. I've heard you're doing really well. Like, really well. I always knew you would with that big, stupid brain of yours. Yay. Can I tell you something really boring? It's kind of crazy, but boring. I keep having this dream where there's someone in my bed. Don't worry, it's not a sex dream. Well, maybe it is. I keep having these dreams where there's just someone in my bed, and we're, like, almost asleep, like, right on the cusp of it, and it's, like, nice. And it shouldn't be nice, right? I should be scared, right? If I never know who he is and he's always different. Even the way we sleep together is always different. Sometimes he's next to me or on top of me. Sometimes my head is on his chest. Or actually, sometimes the bed is so big. Like big in the way your parents' bed is big and endless when you're a kid. And the covers are so blue it's like an ocean and I can't find him. I dive in to find him, but I can't. And then I wake up in panic because if I'm looking for him so desperately, does that mean he's important? Does that mean I want him? Why don't you talk anymore? You used to talk so much. I used to be the one who listened. Is it because I'm being weird? Because you've been weirder than this. You're the one who was always next to me every day just talking. About things I'd never heard of. Things that were interesting. Do I remember what they were? No. But I remember feeling interested. Which is a feeling I haven't had in forever. I'm 26 years old, and the most interesting part of my life are these fucking dreams. That's not true. (laughs) Don't worry, that's not fucking true. I always thought you were smarter than me. Oh my god, not just smarter. The smartest person I'd ever met. But maybe that's just how everyone feels about their best friend. What's going on? You always used to have so much to say. What happened? Snow's getting heavier now. Jesus Christ, you'll get sick if you stay out here. I'll get sick. Your mother sent me to get you. I forgot that she always liked me. She looked at me so closely when she was talking to me, like she was looking for me. I'm right here. I think she knew how I felt about you. I think everyone knew. I think you didn't know what to do. 
which I understand, trust me, I understand, but I do wish you hadn't been so nasty later. Listen, I know it was a long time ago, but if you ever, if you ever want to apologize. This situation is actually really embarrassing. The fact that I'm looking at you right now and I feel so crazy when all this stuff happened when we were literal children. That's why I can't talk to anyone about you, because even if they don't say it, all I hear is, you were just a kid, it's fucking high school, blah blah blah. Stuff that happens when you're a kid counts, you know? It should count more than anything because it shapes you. You live your life, you think you're over it, you think you're good, and then one day you look across the room and you see them, and everything that happened is in your body again, your mind has to play catch-up, but it fails, so you're just shaking and confused, and you want an answer. You want the other person to give you something, anything, but you won't even look at me. Luke, can you just look at me? Thank you. It's getting really cold. Okay. I'm going in. I'll tell your mother I tried my best. Uh. Fuck you and congratulations on all your success. And welcome to The Chef's Monologue, a podcast where we, your hosts, Phil Kenner, and me, Michael Wilder Frizzell, invite our favorite writers to cook up original short monologues based on a recipe that we provide. Then we interview those iconic writers about their process, thoughts on theater, film, TV, etc., and deliver it directly into your hungry ears. We are so happy to have on our show today, Maddie Kovach. Hi, Maddie. Hi, Mike. Hi, Phil. Hi, Maddie. Kovach. Yeah. Oh, I said that so confidently. You did it. <laughs> you, we did it. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, a fun little a fun little gag about being friends with Maddie is that you might know her for years and continue <laughs> to get her name wrong and she'll never correct you. And then one day just kind of go, "Am I saying your name right?" And I go, "No." We just heard the amazing Skylar Tarnas perform in Maddie's monologue. It's getting colder. And it is getting colder. Actually, I'd say it's getting warmer in here Ooh. because of Maddie's star power. Wow. So tell us a little bit about the monologue. Well, it was, I was really excited when you emailed me um, to write a monologue because we had like graduated, you know, in June and I was sort of like not writing anything for like two months. And then I, I got that email and I was like, immediately I just went and wrote it like that week, like two months ago. And I was just thinking about I had the idea of someone being out in the cold and like talking to someone who wouldn't give them any warmth or anything and like kind of structuring that together, if that makes sense. Or maybe that just happened. Maybe I didn't have the idea for that. Maybe the idea was something else. But I know like that was the thing I got really excited about when I started writing it. And it was it was really fun to write. And Skylar did a great job. How was it? How was it using the ingredients? The ingredients. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed this, but I use them like very figuratively. 
like maybe they aren't even in there some of them because I like put them in and then I was like eh, and I cut it I was like this part doesn't flow so I have to cut the ingredient like I guess I guess when you cook like you can do that sometimes but usually when you add something you sort of have to keep it in so but uh, I was definitely inspired by all of them <laughs> they were all very they were very fun I'm so glad that the ingredients inspired you. <laughs> they that's, did. That's they always did. <laughs> the goal. And, you know, there's a poet um, named Ellen Bass, and she taught this, like, webinar that I watched, and she mm -hmm. talked about, like, bay leaves, bay leaves in cooking. Ooh, like, yeah. it's something that flavors the whole soup, but at some point you have to take it out. So, I mean, that's the sort of secret hack. Listeners of the chef monologue, that is a secret hack in using like a writing recipe is that unless the thing you're submitting for requires you to have those things still in there cooked mm -hmm. in, some of these ingredients are just meant to be like a flirty flavor that Great. you can remove from it. And that's always something I struggle with in my writing is is feeling like, oh, this is so important. It informs the whole piece, but it's just not serving it anymore and I have to get rid of it. And sometimes you have to be like, you know what? the bay leaf has to go. The audience might not see the bay leaf, but it, it's there. I have to trust that whatever it, whatever purpose it served will continue. Yeah, that's that's definitely what happened. I really like that metaphor because even, even when I took the thing out, I was still like, oh, it still shaped it in a way that I liked. Mm -hmm. So thank you for your ingredient list. How does, how does It's Getting Colder line up with your other writing? Oh, it definitely does because... I, you both have read a lot of my writing, and in a, in a thing that I write, there always has to be some environmental thing. Like, it always has to be raining or snowing or, like, we're on a boat and, like, there's water everywhere or something. When people are having to do, like, a, a task while they're trying to talk about something, it makes everything more interesting, I think. Or, so, so that task could be like, oh, how am I going to get warm? Or like, you know, how mm. am I going to, how are we going to get out of the rain? Or like, oh, the, the boat's sinking, but I love you. Like, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> That's Titanic. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. So you wrote, you wrote Titanic. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Never let go. <laughs> so you would say that environment is a huge part of what you write. Yeah, I think so. Also, this is like, it's, I like to write people being sad. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and snow and rain does make that easier. And, yeah. you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes as a writer, it can feel like an arbitrary choice to put some kind of weather in there. But then you have to remember that, like, as human beings, we're incredibly affected by even just the slightest change in the environment. Like a cloudy day can put you in such an unbelievable funk. And so... Like, why not do that to our characters? Of course it's snowing. It wouldn't be the same with this model if it was like, you know, 60 and breezy and it was sunset. Like, no, it's Christmas, mm -hmm. it's midnight mass, and mm -hmm. it's snowing. It's <laughs> snowing. Snowing. It's Jesus's birthday and it's cold outside. <laughs> Can you talk to me about a piece of teenage media that made you fall in love with media or with writing? I don't remember. There's no cringe. There's no cringe in yeah. this podcast. No, good, because I'm going to say Doctor Who. Yes, of course. Did you guys watch Doctor Who? I did not watch it. I remember catching episodes on BBC America and like on, mm. but I never watched it like through all the, you know, David Tennant and all the different doctors. I never did it. Mm -hmm. But did, who was your doctor? Was it? Oh, well, I started with Christopher Eccleston and mm. I loved him, but I was madly in love 
David Tennant when I was in high school. Oh, I mean, how would you not be? I still am. Well, did you watch Doctor Who? I did not watch Doctor Who. No. But okay. Oh, well, oh, the nerd things I had at that time. <laughs> Great. I was on Tumblr between the years of 2010 and 2013. So <laughs> there was... Well, well. And, and long after that. But I mean, that was like a specifically you know, GIF, GIF, whatever you want to call it, heavy Doctor Who moment. So I feel like I watched it. Okay. Well, since you aren't super, since you're not familiar, I'll explain why that was a good writing inspiration because Mm. I just, Doctor Who just like, they can go anywhere, they can do anything, but the Doctor is just always like so, such a well-written character. Like there's just so much going on with him and, and he always is like changing up his companions and... I think, I don't know, I just, I remember watching it in high school, and that was kind of the first time I was like, oh, this is like a well-written thing that I watch. Mm-hmm. Like, every every episode is, like, pretty solid. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And the freedom it gives you as a writer. Yeah, there's always, yeah, in the episodes, they're always, like, there's always, like, a huge, huge stakes, because the world is always ending, and mm. everyone is about to die. So, I think, I think that's good, too, for writing. Because we're always, you know, when we when we taught this year, I was always like, you know, <laughs> make something happen, make a con- have have a conflict, mm-hmm. have the characters want things, yeah, you know. Why do you why do you think as writers, either people you've taught or just as you know as colleagues, I suppose, as we look around, and it's something that I struggle with. Why do you think we struggle with writing stakes? Like, why is it? Because we we know, like, I think as consumers of media, we have a pretty good stake. Like in epi- every episode of Doctor Who, like you said, the world is ending. But then why, when when we start to write our own stuff, suddenly we struggle with that? I think I think sometimes writers, I, I will speak from from this. Like, I think sometimes we're avoiders of conflict, and the way we express ourselves is by writing about it like maybe we started by journaling when we were kids and then that turned into like something really structured and (laughs) journaling turned into a play you know Mm -hmm. and that's and I think that's still how we kind of write like I know I was looking back at my earlier notes for this piece and it was definitely like it was just sort of like a little a couple lines of something that I was not very interesting and then it turned into this but it was something I was writing about because I was thinking about something and it was, I was thinking about a dream I was having. <laughs> I kept last last year I was like living alone for the first time. I kept I kept having these dreams where I was like in bed with a man. Um, I was just like thinking about that when I this year, like this summer, I was like, well that stopped, but that was an interesting time mm-hmm. this year. I don't know if that was a good segue to well, anything. Well the way you the way you <laughs> activated that dream in the monologue, I mean this is such an example, good example for other people listening and for your students I'm sure but like the the act of taking something extremely personal that happened to you or a detail about your life like these dreams that sort of comes from your brain in a way that's inexplicable Mm -hmm. but then activating it in the form of a character and that's what Mm -hmm. you did with it's getting colder like this person's dreams are motivating his frustration with his best friend luke but those dreams came from your life but you put them in the the mind of someone whose experience is different from yours Mm -hmm. and then it's just like that is such a true and rich detail about your life that it follows that it would be true and rich about someone else's life as well and that is like what you said. It's journaling meets playwriting in action. Yeah. I hope I hope that thought tracked a little bit. Certainly. Yeah. And, you know, what you said about characters and high stakes, I think is really fantastic too. And I also think the stakes in 
something I love about your writing and something that I love about It's Getting Colder specifically is that the stakes are not necessarily the first flavor you taste. It's like no mm-hmm. one in this Christmas mass is at risk of the apocalypse no. a la Doctor Who, but the stakes even still are extremely high for the speaker because he is so emotionally fraught over mm-hmm. Luke. And so you have found a way to mix those two things. You love the high stakes from Doctor Who and you also feel the the truth of those dreams and those longings and you put those two things together. And that's what I think makes the monologue so successful. Wow, thank you. That was so well put. Of course. I mean, you wrote it. So. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Listeners at home, you can't see, but Maddie has brought in a prop and we are so in um, suspense about what potentially she's going to stand about. So... Oh my god! Well, I it's like play, uh, I brought the playbill because I want to get uh, the names right. Um, okay. Well, so then, without further ado. Okay. Well, I a couple like about a month ago, my friend took me to see a play called Stew, uh, which was written by Zora Howard, and it was done by uh, Shattered Globe Theater Company. Have you guys heard of Shattered Globe? Mm-hmm. Well, I had not, and I was so it was it was the best play I'd seen in Chicago. It was my, my, and I've been here for a year. It was my favorite. It was my favorite thing I've seen so far. And it was partly because I think, like, I, it was so well written. The actresses, it was an all female cast, were just so, so good. And I was obsessed with it. And I just walked out of the theater feeling so excited and like thinking about it and like, oh, I learned things from this. And I, it was just a really good feeling. But it's a play about, but it's like, it's a play that takes place in a kitchen. Mm. And they're cooking the whole time, which I thought you guys would love. Hey, come on, chef. <laughs> <dog. laughs> yeah, um, but it's like they keep trying to cook the stew, and then it's like not working, so then they throw it out. But the whole time, like people are doing different tasks and like chopping things. At one point, this woman is like, the main character is really angrily shaving a carrot, and mm. while like while she's yelling at her daughter about something, like mm-hmm. she's shaving a carrot like over the the trash, and I'm like. What an amazing thing for someone to do while they're while they're angrily yelling at someone. It was just incredible. And this was this is a play. I think it was a um let me check. Doesn't say. Uh I think it was a Pulitzer Prize finalist. That's really cool. And the playwright's name again? Zora Howard. Zora Howard. Stew by Zora Howard. It was really good. <laughs> from you said Shattered it's Globe really, Theater. It's a really good play. I really liked it. <laughs> Fantastic. An yeah. incredible one minute stand. Where was the show? What theater was it at? It was a theater what? Oh, incredible. Theater Where Wit. we've all been before. Yes. We love, 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 love Theater Wit. Yeah. Chicagoans, you know what we're talking about. Non-Chicagoans. <laughs> theater Wit is like an incredible, was three theaters in it? Three yeah. theaters? It's like different theater companies use it. Um, they have their own programming. They're just an incredible community space. And they're right next to a cat cafe. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right nice. next to a literal cat cafe. <laughs> and those little kitty cats just like come right up to the window and are like, adopt me. And I'm like, oh, I would. Sorry, darling, I have to go to the theater first. Yes, I must go to the theater first. And then I'll adopt you. <laughs> uh, my friend and I, we snuck her puppy into the theater. when we Not for this play, but we went and saw another play there a little while ago and we snuck her puppy in. Um, I we, need the details of that story well, right friend, now. It's our friend Alica. And she just got a puppy name name wesley mm-hmm. um and we she she like when she goes to the theater she brings him in her little bag and we sneak him in and then when the lights go up people are like very excited to see the dog 
people are like, oh my God, a, a puppy just sitting in the theater. And it's, it's really fun. And we're like, well, there's nothing you can do about it now. We're, we, we did that. So now we can leave. Oh my God. Do, does the dog bark during the performances? He's very good. He's very quiet. That would be, the, that would talk about stakes. I feel He's like I'd be watching. He's like a chihuahua. He's very tiny. Uh-huh. Oh, yes, God. yes. It's the cutest thing. Ever. I would kill her. <laughs> I mean, she's going to listen to this. If we went to the theater and she's Unless... like, I'm sneaking the dog in. But it's like, I feel like it's like going to the movie theater and your friend like pulls out like a hidden box of like, you know, um, Reese's Pieces or something, except it's a dog in a handbag. <laughs> no, a full dog. no, he's, a, he's her, um, her emotional support animal. Of course, yes. Oh, and he's so cute. He's he is so very sweet. Cute. Alka, um, who is one of the other writers of season two so yes. listeners you're either listening to this after or before alica's episode so and just wait there may be a dog in that episode <laughs> right there probably will be a dog in the booth with us sweet little wesley and you just moved to rogers park i did how are you liking it so far i really like it i was still getting used to it it's a new place it took me a while to get used to it when i moved last year but i live across from the beach oh yes and i love going to the beach absolutely just like on my way to target i'm like i'll just go to the beach Right. Where do you write? In my bed in the middle of the night. Oh, ideal. Stolen time. <laughs> yeah, I because I, I had to start doing that during the pandemic. And now I'm broken and I have to write in the middle of the night. Wow. Because when I was living at home during the pandemic, my family would be up during the day, often watching TV. Or, or I just would not feel like alone. So I would wait till everyone went to sleep and stay up all night and write a play. Mm-hmm. You have to be alone with the muse. I guess. <laughs> yeah, the, um, Elizabeth Gilbert of of Eat, Pray, Love fame talks about like the like the act of like dating writing mm-hmm. and like the way you approach writing, the kind of writing you do or the process you have changes on the different depending on the different way you like date the act of writing. So if mm-hmm. you show up in like a nice outfit at a very specific time, then it's a very sort of like monogamous, serious thing. And that's a that's a valid way to write. And then another valid way to write is like sneaky and like you're sort of like <laughs> cheating on the day with writing. <laughs> yeah. Or cheating on your day job more specifically. Uh-huh. And it's kind of like, yeah, babe, like you're not my number one, but like you are like, you know, you <laughs> I'd leave them for you. I'd leave them for you. I'd do it. Well, here's what I've realized when I write like a first draft that's kind of that was very funny um when I write like a first draft I'm that's kind of the I'm up like all night like in my bed writing and weeping and and then editing that I can do like at a cute little place in public (laughs) like when I'm kind of just like reading through the thing I was like writing and like when I was like all upset or whatever (laughs) like that that I can do like in public is when I'm like editing you're like, you're like, who wrote this? Yeah. What unhinged person wrote this deranged babble? <laughs> edit, 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 edit. You yeah, know. that's kind of how it goes. That's for in public. And mm-hmm. then the real stuff is in private. Yeah, just the mess, the messy first draft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of writing process, mm-hmm. I'm curious to know what in this monologue was your secret ingredient? We're going to get a little drum roll. <laughs> Yay. Well, we already talked about it a little bit. Oh, my did we? Se- yeah, my secret ingredient was I was like one of the characters needs to talk about the weather. Oh, that was my secret the weather. <laughs> we we talked that. about that. Because um, mm. I, I just noticed some of the stuff I wrote this year felt very like, I'm, I'm trying to get back to, or like whatever. I'm just having an impulse, not get back to, but I'm having an impulse to get back to writing like 
people who actually kind of sound like people because mm-hmm. I think and this is fine but like some of my writing has been like very poetic in the last two years and I read it and I'm like this is boring because it doesn't sound like a person and so like I said this kind of started with like a short little like po- poetic sounding thing and there's no snow in that that's just like a dreamy like why don't you talk to me I love you sort of thing <laughs> and um I was like, I, if I have the weather thing, that'll that'll ground me, and it'll sound like a person. Mm. So I, and also Chekhov. So. <laughs> and also, <laughs> also Chekhov. That's the title of this episode. <laughs> yeah, Sarah Rule in 100 Essays I Don't Have Time to Write talks about putting bad poetry in the mouth of characters in your plays, mm-hmm. because that makes them feel like real people. Not mm-hmm. saying, of course, that any poetry we heard today is bad, but that like when you write I know this is true for me, especially like when I write like a something very emotional and sort of feels like a poem. It's sort of a mm-hmm. journal entry meets poem. And then I read it again like three months later. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was feeling this feeling so hard. But then it's like, oh, like put that in the mouth of a character yeah. and they'll feel really human. So there's that. And now I want to ask you, Chekhov, what is Chekhov to you? Why does Chekhov light your fire? Talk to me about Chekhov. The two plays that, like, I read when I was an undergrad, like, like a freshman in, in undergrad, that really made me like plays and made me really understand plays were The Cherry Orchard and Mr. Burns. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been, I think if I had read any other Chekhov play, I think it would have done the same thing. But for some reason, it was The Cherry Orchard. And I just, I just remember, I and I kind of feel like this whenever I read Chekhov. And I just, first of all, I'm like a... I'm astounded because I read stuff where I, I read moments that just feel so contemporary in Chekhov. And I, I'm just like, this is from like 100 years ago. Like, but it's this really contemporary feeling between people that's happening, like them being awkward with each other, them, them not saying how they feel. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I really identify with it because I, there's a there's a lot of stories that we see where the where the main characters are whatever there's the the focus is on is on people who are always like being very loud and and very big and that's that makes sense because that usually is the person who drives the action but i'm always like in love with the characters in Chekhov who are not saying what they're supposed to say and they're not doing what they're supposed to do and i really relate to that because in the cherry orchard and here's the thing about the cherry orchard the other thing about the cherry orchard is you know the the guy the Lepakin is that his name Mm -hmm. he's the the lawyer I haven't read it in a while I think so he's the lawyer who's trying to get them to sell the estate that's what the the cherry orchard is like there's this rich family they've had this estate forever they're out of money they need to sell the estate but they're like nah this is our home (laughs) just it'll be fine (laughs) and then this guy this lawyer comes in and you know it's it's very interesting because he used to be like a servant and I think not like maybe something even lower than a servant he was he was like not maybe he was very very low class and now he's like this lawyer and he's the one who's telling them like no please just like sell the house like you have to in order to survive and they just don't do it and then finally he comes and he keeps saying the cherry orchard will go up for auction on August 22nd and August 22nd is my birthday and I didn't realize that until like last year when I reread it but I love that. And um, he keeps saying it. And they're just like, 
whatever let's talk about life and then <laughs> let's not let's look at our phones let's <laughs> listen to a podcast let's uh, let's fall in love let's just live and not worry about this and then finally he comes in during a big party they're having because they're like let's have a party instead of worry about our finances and he's like i bought it and spoilers but i just like it's very emotional for me and then they have to deal with that then they're all like okay now we have to leave mm-hmm. and no one does what they're supposed to do or says what they're supposed to say in that play and i just remember reading that and being so uh moved by that because i'd never seen that in anything before right because people in i just find that people in in stories are always like i know what i want and that's good but i guess in the things that i write a lot of the people like they know what they want but they're avoiding it or they don't know what they want and that's excruciating for them so that's that's i I love Chekhov. do you guys like Chekhov? Yes. Oh my God. That was supposed to like a a one minute stand for the price, you know, two for the price of one. That was amazing, gorgeous. That was was some serious Chekhov standing. Well, I'm able, I I saw this this play, Stuart, and I I loved it so much, but I I don't, I haven't like read it, so I I don't know if I can analyze it super well, but I have, I read the the Cherry Orchard like three times. And it's gorgeous. And I think you were talking about Chekhov characters who say stuff they're not supposed to. I think of Irina in The Seagull when her son is putting on a play and she's just out loud like, oh, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Baby, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. And she's turning to the other guests and she's like, isn't this so bad? And he's like fully within earshot of her hearing all of it. And Nina is up there acting her little butt off. (laughs) And Irina's just like, she's bad. The script's bad. And that makes you fall in love with a character. Yeah. And like, like, and you, you need Irina Irina too. Like oh, yeah. it, the play could not just be like, you know, Maria in the seagull who's just like, I love him, but I'm telling everybody but him, you right. know? Like you you also need Irina who's like going up to Maria and is like, look at the both of us. Who looks younger? You know, like you need you need he he just has every type of person. And yep. it's just I, I guess that's why I love Chekhov. And you need her being horny for a Trigorin, mm-hmm. and you need her also like being sort of domineering over her son. It's just yeah. Chekhov yeah. plays are extremely horny, and, and <laughs> no one's talking about that. Yeah. Well, it's because of all the yearning. Oh, yes. It's because of all the yearning. Mm-hmm. Yearning <laughs> of, was a... Because people are not, like, people are not kissing. Like, right. people are not kissing in Chekhov, so they're just talking about it or feeling it. And Horny, yearning, yearning, horny. They do yearning, kiss. Yearning, It happens sometimes. <laughs> you should see a doctor about that. <laughs> yeah. If you have a yearning hernia, then you need to... <laughs> You need to go see a doctor. You need to consult a medical professional. What a perfect note to end on. Yeah. Maddie, thank you so much for doing this, for being here, for writing It's Getting Colder, for sharing your beautiful self with us. Yeah, thanks. This thanks was a dream. Thanks for having me. Um, this is a good podcast. I listened to it, and I was like... You heard is, it here first. I was like, this is really good. Oh, wow. Thank you. So, um, the meanest thing anyone's ever said to me was said to be by Maddie one time. I don't know what it was, but I was doing... I know what it was. Oh, I know. I know you know what it was. I'm telling the, I'm telling the listeners before we leave. We were in some group setting and I tried to be funny because I am compulsively trying to be funny all the time. And, you know, no one laughed at my joke or no one heard it, whatever. I sort of absorbed the loss and Maddie turned to me with extreme earnest. She was really trying to make me feel better about a joke that didn't land. And she goes, no, Phil, you're really funny. And it's the meanest thing anyone's ever said to me. It was the most cruel. Because she, she was trying to be really nice. Because she's a very beautiful soul. And, a boy, and she wanted me to feel better about myself. And I was just like, you did not just say that to me. You're trying to make me feel better. So anyway. 
Manny Kovach, meanest person who ever lived. Exactly. <laughs> it's true. Um, no, just so everyone knows on record, actually truly is just the like kindest and most um, brilliant, one of the most brilliant writers that I've ever really encountered. And, and thank you so much for such a gorgeous monologue. Um, Maddie Kovach, thanks, thanks for being on thanks the show. Thanks for coming into the studio. Thanks. Thanks, guys. <laughs>